0: see you this morning. Hey, on uh, November 13th, we're going to have our 20th year anniversary of New Creation Fellowship. Hard to believe that we've been at it for 20 years now. Uh, November 13th. We would like, if you have any pictures of um, our church and things that we've been doing over the last 20 years, if you could send them uh, to me. So, uh, mark at ncfspokane.com. Mark at ncfspokane.com. That'd be great. Just email me all the photos that you have, and we're going to put together some, some things to, uh, to share with you on November uh, 13th. It's good to be back. Thanks to Pastor Matt for filling in on me. Did you notice that of the first six chapters of the book of Nehemiah, that I gave him the hardest one? Yep. You're welcome, Matt. So this morning... We're going to be talking about criticism and opposition. And and you know what? Every now and then, when when I do a series like this, and I'm doing a chapter a week, every now and then, I run across a a chapter that I could probably preach a, a month on. Or make a series all out of that one chapter. Nehemiah 4 is that chapter. Go ahead and take your Bibles out. Turn to Nehemiah chapter 4. I mean, chapter 4 is just that good. In fact, I really think that all of us who are in leadership, which we have determined is all of us, should at the very least meditate on chapter 4 frequently. Now, we're not going to spend a month in Nehemiah 4, but we will spend the next 30 minutes or so drilling down on chapter 4. And maybe this week you might want to read through chapter 4 again and just allow the lessons of chapter 4 to sink into your heart and into your mind. Whenever you find yourself under fire... Well, with criticism or opposition, really the first thing that should come to our mind is that we should not even run, but we should sprint and definitely not walk to Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4 is all about the unfortunate but inevitable sidekick to leadership. It's about criticism and opposition, right? And we all face it. And when you try to do anything at all, especially something good, especially something of significance, there will be those who think it's their job to criticize you. And sometimes they think it's their job to stop you in your tracks. Let let me give you a couple of examples. When I first started in ministry, Temple Baptist Church over in Everett, Washington, I can talk about them because they're no longer in existence. Um, that's another story. We don't have time for that this morning. But we actually had a lady that came up to us, and she said, as leader, she said, I want to let you know, my ministry is the ministry of sandpaper. I'm like, What? And then she went on and she explained, here's my ministry. My ministry is to kind of rub you the wrong way, right? Just to kind of, kind of smooth things over. I'm like, I don't think that's a ministry. And then when I went to Trinity and they voted on me coming to the church there, I had a guy come up to me afterwards, and he said this. He said, uh, hey, I just wanted to let you know I voted no. And I was like, oh, all right. And he was like, because you just can't have a unanimous vote. I just have to go against the grain, right? And so you always have people that, that are in opposition, And the reality is, if you're not enduring some opposition, some criticism in some form or fashion, you you better check out what you're doing, or shall I say not doing, because maybe you're not seeing opposition because you're not attempting to do anything spectacular for, for God. Albert Hubbard, an American writer in the 1800s, said this, To avoid criticism, do nothing, say nothing, be nothing. One of Aesop's fables illustrates the nature of criticism and critical people and the futility of trying to listen to them. It's a story of an old man who him and his son were bringing a donkey to market. You may have heard this before, but on their way, they hear somebody say, look at those two foolish people. They're walking when they could be riding in comfort. So the idea seems to make sense to the old guy and his son. And so they climb on the donkey. They continue their journey. And it wasn't long before they hear another comment as they pass this guy along on the road. And he said, look at these lazy people. They're they're breaking the back of the donkey. He'll be so tired by the time they get to market that nobody will want to buy him. So so the old guy gets off the donkey, walks beside him. The sun stays on. And so then they hear this comment. That's terrible. The old man has to walk and the young son gets to ride. So they trade places. A few minutes later, another comment. Look at that selfish man. He rides the donkey and makes that young son walk. The old man and the boy thought for a long time about the situation. And finally, they come up with a solution. They tie the donkey to a pole place each of the poles on their shoulders, and they carry the donkey as they continue their journey. And as they cross the bridge, the pole breaks, the donkey comes loose, falls into the the river, and and drowns. Right? The moral of the story is you can't please everyone, and if you try, you're going to end up losing your donkey. There you have it. Now, I don't need to spend a lot of time this morning describing to you the criticism that you might be facing because you know what it is, right? You hear it from your husband or your wife or your kids or your coworkers, your boss, your employees, your friends, enemies, or or shall I even say even strangers. So I don't need to go into the detail, but what I do want to do is to spend some time looking at Nehemiah's critics, and just to help you to understand that, that 2,500 years ago or whatever the time period is, that critics really haven't changed all that much. Right? They use the same playbook. Football reference, go Hawks. Okay, we're going on. Right? They use the same playbook that they used in Nehemiah's day. So, so they're not exactly a creative bunch. But, but look what they did. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. Now, when Ballot heard that, that we're building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. We first met Sambalat in chapter 2. Nehemiah's response to him was, look, this really is none of your business, so just kind of go away. But like all critics, in being none of his business, it, that didn't stop Sambalat from coming up and talking some trash, right? He's going to keep after it. First part of verse 2, and he said, in the presence of his brothers and the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Notice the phrase, or write down in your notes this morning, in the presence of his brothers, right? His associates. Critics always are looking for an audience. Right? They'll talk to anyone who give them an ear. That's why if somebody's talking badly about somebody else to you, what you need to do is you need to tell them to go talk to the person that they're talking about. Right? You just don't be the audience for a critic. Second Barter verse 2 and verse 3. Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones that at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, Yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up in it, he will break down their stone wall. I mean it's just one insult after the next to see the ridicule and the condensation there not condensation that's not that's something different right as time goes by but they just turn up the heat on their opposition right moving from insults to threats then then in verse 8 it says this and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem to cause confusion In it, there's another phrase you can write down in your notes, right? To cause confusion, right? To stir up trouble. That's what this person likes to do, right? They're really not accomplishing anything themselves. They just like to create problems for others, right? They like to stir up trouble. Look at verse 11. And our enemies said... They will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. What does Nehemiah do? Well, he takes the threat seriously. And so he begins to take steps to protect the project and to protect his people. All right, one to nothing for the opposition, right? They score a minor victory because Nehemiah now has to redirect his attention and resources to accommodate their threats. But, but ultimately, the opposition loses the battle. Spoiler alert. Right? Nehemiah and his people finish the wall in spite of Sanballat's attempts of intimidation. So when you try to do something good, when you try to do something spectacular for God, you will face the same thing: ridicule and skepticism, mockery, and sometimes outright threats. And so, what I would like to do today—go ahead and take your note sheets out. You can follow along with me. Let's talk about how do we respond to criticism. Right? How 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 do we respond to criticism in the workplace, or in your family life, or or even in ministry? Number one is you keep praying about it. We see again and again throughout the book of Nehemiah. This guy just is a praying machine. So, so when Samballot and Tobiah begin their whining and complaining, Nehemiah's first move was to take it to God, right? And he doesn't pull any punches in this prayer either, right? He got, gets after it. Look at verses 4 and 5. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their fault on their own heads and give them to be up to be plundered in the land with their captives. Do not cover their guilt. And let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So when opposition comes, God wants us to rely on him. And the best way of expressing our reliance on God is through prayer. And in his prayer, Nehemiah first asks for God's attention and mercy. Because God did care about Nehemiah. God did care about the work of rebuilding the wall. But Nehemiah needed God to display it. He needed to sense God's presence and God's care in his life. Have you ever been there? I don't know about you, but I have. Man, I remember praying. Time and time again. God, I just need to see you work. Just do something that I can see you work. And Nehemiah asked God to go to battle against their enemies for them. In other words, he depended on God to fight the battle. He, God gave him a, a work to do, and he's not going to be distracted. So he's basically saying, God, you take care of the problem, and I'll build the wall. Now let me say this. If we're angry at someone or have a real enemy, we can go at it after, after them in prayer. But, hear this this morning, but in the sense of praying evil upon them, we just turn them over to a good and just God because He knows exactly what to do with them, right? Not our job. Not our job. Nehemiah's prayer gave God. A reason to show mercy and to get after his enemies. Nehemiah recognized that this was God's cause, not his. Right? This is God's church, not ours. Right? And then we see it again in verse 9. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. Guess what happens? God allows the attack to go on. So just because we pray and we ask God to take care of the enemy, the attack goes on, right? Well, like God doesn't stop the attack. Like he could have swept it away instantly, but but he doesn't. He, he allows it to continue because he's like... This is awesome. My people are now drawing closer to me and they have a deeper trust in me than, than ever before. So God does his perfect worth, work both in building the wall and his people. Here is the other thing about this they also knew that prayer didn't mean that they weren't to do anything. So they used the sanctified common sense to do what they should have, right? They protected themselves against the attack. you using willing servants of God to be the wall until the wall was built. So this morning, I want to challenge you to make prayer your first go-to and not your last. Right? How, how many times did we do that? Right? We get, we get a problem and, and we're trying to work it out and, and we're like, I'll figure it out on my own. And then the problem gets too big and now we're overwhelmed and then we go, oh, I guess I'll pray now. Right? Why don't we make prayer the first go to? Second thing. The way to respond to criticism this morning is to keep your eye on the ball. Verse 6. So we built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. Go ahead and write that down in your notes. A mind to work. God answered the prayer by giving them a mind to work. A mind to work is a gift from God. And no significant job will ever be accomplished until people come together with a mind to work. I mean, I think of our building project here at NCF, right? Well, we're halfway there. We have $185,000 left to pay on phase one before we can start phase two. Do you realize that in the last two years, we've paid $265,000 in two years? That's coming together with a mine to work. That's exactly what Satan wants to destroy with his attacks, right? A mine to work. To work. He, he wants us to feel defeated or, or passive or discouraged. See, critics demoralize leaders encourage. courage. Notice Nehemiah didn't say anything about Sanballat and Tobiah, right? He, he, he didn't say anything bad about them. He, he didn't defend his strategy. He didn't argue with them. He didn't call them names. What did Nehemiah do and, and, the, and his people do? Well, they built the wall, and the wall was joined together, half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Nehemiah's attitude was like, you can criticize all you want. I'm just going to work a little bit harder. I'm just going to get this thing done. So when you hear criticism, the key is not to lose sight of what God has said you're to be doing. Keep your eye on the ball. Keep doing your job. Keep building the wall. Keep working with all your heart. All right, third thing this morning to respond to criticism is to keep your guard up. We we need to understand that there is a difference between responding to a threat versus a criticism, right? Responding to criticism, which is basically a little bit more than arguing, is really a waste of time. Responding to a threat, however, is absolutely essential. And so you have to protect yourself. And I'm not talking about just threats of violence. I'm talking about a threat of any kind that, that comes from our common enemy to do us in at any opportunity that he wants to do that, right? Like he would love to destroy your morality. He would love to destroy your momentum, your credibility, your reputation. And he will do it at any chance that he has. Like there have been people in Archer over the past 20 years that have tried to destroy the the reputation of NCF. But, But let me say this, we're in a season right now where you guys are making it really easy for me to pastor. Thank you very much for that. Appreciate it. Nehemiah did not respond to the criticism aimed at him. But when the criticism turned to threats, he said this, verse 9, And we pray to our God and we set guard as a protection against them day and night. And then again in verse 13, he says, So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. The verses tell us that what Nehemiah did. But we can also think of what Nehemiah could have, or could have done in this situation, right? Like he could have done nothing. And he, and he could have done this. He could have even been spiritual about it. Well, brother, we're just trusting in the Lord. Right We, we prayed about it. We just believe the Lord will de- deliver us somehow some way. God's just going to pull us out of this thing. He, he could have panicked. And started thinking it was his job alone to defend against the attack. And what he did was to wisely and calmly trust God in the midst of the storm. Right? He didn't go on the offensive, but he began to take steps necessary to protect himself and his people. And we need to do exactly the same thing. There are steps that you and I can take to protect ourselves from the attacks of others. And one of the things that you can do is to write things down so people can't twist your words. You can avoid situations where people can make stories up about you, right? That's why Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from every form of evil, right? Right. Don't be alone with somebody of the opposite sex, right? Don't borrow money from petty cash with the idea of paying it back later, right? Be, Be careful of the websites that you go to, right? You just don't give anyone the ammunition to make things up about you. And it's just an unfortunate reality of leadership and ministry. You just have to protect yourself. And it would be nice if it wasn't necessary. It'd also be nice if we didn't have to lock our houses. But hey, we do, right? It's just a culture we live in. So if you are a leader of any type, you need to develop a habit of protecting yourself and those around you. As Nehemiah said in verse 17, Those who were building the wall, those who carried the burdens, were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. He also said, verse 23, so neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the man of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes, each kept his weapon at his right hand. He's saying, in effect, we're always ready, right? We're we're, we're never going to let our guard down. We're we're always going to be ready to fight the enemy. And and not doing it by being cynical or jaded or distrustful with other people, right? Just cautious. You keep your guard up, you don't give the enemy a shot at you. All right, number four. Uh, keep spending time with the right people, right? When Nehemiah first started to respond to threats, he said this, verse 13. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in open spaces, I stationed people by their clans. Right? Maybe Nehemiah was using families because he knew that the clans of the families would make an extra effort to protect each other. Right? There are people in your life, most likely. Maybe you're a family member or, or maybe a close friend. Who are able to stand with you at your lowest point. Right in your most vulnerable place. Don't ignore them. Don't don't try to go it alone. Post them at your lowest point of the wall. Lean on them for strength and protection. Verse 19, and I said to the nobles and to the officials and the rest of the people, the work is great widely spread and we are separated on the wall far from one another did you catch that we're widely spread out and separated that's when we're at risk for attack let's keep reading verse 20 in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there our god will fight for us nehemiah knew that he had to keep good communication if the work was going to get done and the trumpets was a new way of communication there to meet that challenge. So they stayed ready to sound the alarm at the slightest notice, right? They're not going to be caught off guard. And when you, you and I are facing criticism and opposition, we need to make sure that we're spending time with others, right? It's why it's so crucial for you to be involved in church. It's why it's so crucial that you're involved in a life group. That's why it's important for families to get together and have dinner together. Watch the Seahawks maybe. I don't know. Right? There are others out there in the battle, in the fight. and, And we are encouraged by their faith stories. All right, the fifth way to deal with criticism is to keep reminding yourself of what's really important. When the threat is at a high point, when it reaches its peak... Nehemiah says this, verse 14, And I looked, and I arose, and I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Nehemiah put their mind in the right perspective. What's really important? The challenge was great, but there was no reason to fear. Right? Who is in them was greater than who is in the world. Nehemiah reminded them what they were fighting for. We fight most effectively for the Lord when we keep in mind how much there is to lose. And, and he's saying, remember the, the Lord. Remember in whom you serve. Remember that it is he who protects you. He, he says, remember your families. The work you are doing is designed to protect them for generations to come. And if it is necessary for you to engage in battle today, it is for their benefit that you go fight. Don't forget to remind yourself why you're doing what you're doing. Remind yourself that you are serving God and it is His glory that manifests through your life. Remind yourself that you're serving others. That he has called us to die to self and to serve those whom we come in contact with. And if we can keep focused on that, then we will not be sidetracked by criticism. Let me challenge you this morning to keep moving forward. Not to fight back against criticism, to keep focused on God, to, to keep focused on the work, to keep your guard up. To to keep in contact with the right people. To remind yourself on why you do what you do. That God has called you to whatever it is you're involved in. That's how we respond to the critics. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word today. God, my prayer this morning is that as we lead, Father... In whatever capacity, whether it's in our families, whether it's at work, whether it's in our neighborhoods, whether it's here at church. God, my prayer is that you would place a hedge of protection around us. That you would not let the evil one have a foothold. And God, we want to do a mighty work for you. So, God, I pray this morning that that, that you would take this group of people, this body of believers here in Spokane, Washington, and that we would do significant work for you and for the kingdom. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.